We gather this evening to celebrate, as I said, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as we hear once again the story of how God took on flesh to dwell among us full of grace and truth, it's my prayer that we would be confronted by the one true and living God who bids us to come to himself. Let us pray together. Almighty God, just as you came to reveal yourself long ago through your word made flesh, come and reveal yourself this day through your written word. Grace us with your presence. Grant that we may get a glimpse of your glory. Speak to us of your love and mercy that descends from heaven to draw near to us in our despair and darkness. And we pray, O Christ, just as you were born long ago in Bethlehem, be born this day in our hearts through the power of your Spirit. For we pray this in the name of the one who was born in Bethlehem, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I pray that this word would fall afresh on your ears this evening. This is the word of God. It is written. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ, 
be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Luke's account of the birth of Jesus begins by rooting us in history. This is a snapshot of a moment in time at a particular place. The Son of God, Jesus, really was born in Bethlehem when Caesar Augustus was reigning as emperor. This isn't to be read then as some myth or metaphor that simply carries a universal truth. This isn't a fairy tale. This is verifiable history. But even though it is happening at a particular moment in history, this story is not to be read simply as history. And make no mistake, the history is important. We are to understand that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, has entered into time and space But Luke's intention is to move us beyond simple historical record. At the beginning of his gospel, Luke tells the one to whom he is writing, Theophilus, that his goal was to write down what the eyewitnesses had delivered to him in order that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things he had been taught. Why? Because Luke wants those who receive his gospel to have confidence in its message through these eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in order that they might believe upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the goal remains the same even for us more than 2,000 years after Jesus' birth. As we read the second chapter of Luke's gospel then, you must hear the angel say, for unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The birth of Jesus Christ in Luke's gospel confronts each of us then with a reality, a historical reality, which beckons us to respond to his birth in a way that we lay hold of him by faith. Luke doesn't want us just to simply acknowledge that Jesus was born in history. Luke wants us to personally experience his birth for us this day, that we might be reborn in him through the power of his spirit. The question for us each this day then is, how will I welcome the one who has been born for me? How will I welcome the one who has been born for me? Now, the Gospels present us with a myriad of ways that individuals responded to the birth of Jesus. There were those in Matthew's Gospel, the religious leaders who knew what the scriptures said concerning the birth of the Messiah. Their knowledge didn't move them to go out and find Jesus, though, when the signs of his coming appeared. There was Herod, who went into a murderous rage, threatened by this one he saw as a competing king. There are the Magi, who traveled from afar to come and bring presents 
to Jesus and to bow before him as king. There are also those who are presented here to us by Luke. And they are our focus this evening, for in them, Luke presents us with appropriate ways to welcome Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I pray that as we meditate on their responses, that we would take heed. The first response we find from the sh- is from the shepherds, the one to whom the heavenly host came telling of Jesus' birth. Now, shepherds were not exactly the likely candidates to be the initial recipients of this good news of great joy. And this was not only because one would expect that this news would be first announced to the religious leaders who were supposed experts concerning the coming of the Messiah, but also because shepherds were not exactly well-respected members of society. In fact, they were despised. They had a reputation for not being the most upright individuals. And let's just put it this way. If a shepherd was passing through with his flock, you might want to keep an eye on your belongings. But Jesus came humbly into the world to the humble in heart the lowly, the despised, the rejected, the outcast. And notice their response to the news. They immediately did three things. They went, they saw, and they told. They went, they saw, and they told. Luke tells us in verse 16 that after the angels departed from the shepherds that they went straightway and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Well, why did they go? Didn't they believe what the angels had told them? Well, of course they did. That is precisely why they went. It wasn't enough to hear of the Messiah's birth. They had to go in to see it for themselves. They desired to personally confirm this good news. They wanted to encounter Jesus. They wanted to experience his presence for for themselves and to know the great joy the angels spoke of. When the good news of great joy is announced to us, we too are faced with a decision. It isn't simply a decision about whether or not to receive this information as historical fact. It's also a decision about how we will act on this information. Receiving this news as historical fact doesn't necessarily mean that we have received it by faith. There's information that we receive every day that we do nothing with. We remain indifferent to it, and it remains removed from us. Scripture tells us that there will be many who hear the good news, but who never receive the benefits of it because they never go and seek to encounter Jesus for themselves. The religious leaders in Matthew's nativity story illustrate this. They never seek to lay hold of Christ. They never seek to personally confirm through experience the peace and the joy that he brings. The news stays in their heads and never travels to their hearts. And in this way, the power of the gospel remains outside of them. 
You see, as long as Jesus remains outside of us, we will have no part of him. We have to seek to lay hold of him by faith, to believe on him in our hearts, to confirm the gospel message through experiencing his presence and power in our lives. This is how Jesus is born in us. And notice that the shepherds go with great haste. There's not a moment to delay. If God has made himself available to us in his son, why would we not make it our greatest priority to seek to find him? Salvation has come. Is there anything more important that might delay us from coming to Jesus for salvation, for life? The prophet Isaiah instructs us, seek God while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There's urgency in coming to Jesus, welcoming him into your life by placing faith in him. None of us know when we will be called to give account for our lives. And the shepherds recognized how desperately they needed a savior. It wasn't something that could wait until tomorrow. It wasn't something to be put off because they had flocks to watch. And once the shepherds had gone and beheld him themselves, they desired to share this news that they had received from heaven. Luke tells us in verse 17, when they saw it, meaning that which the angel told them would be the sign, this baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. It was news that was too good to keep to themselves. They were compelled to share it compelled to share this word that had come to them from God and that they had now confirmed by their personal experience. And if we have heard this word and experienced its power, we too will be compelled to share it. This is a natural progression in welcoming Christ into our lives by placing true faith in him. We come to him seeking to truly know him, to experience him in all of his power and glory. And then having received salvation by believing on him in our hearts, we desire to share him with others. The love of God that we have found is too good. The peace is too good. The joy is too good not to share. But we can't share what we don't no, by personal experience. As the great Charles Spurgeon so eloquently put it, my brethren, the gospel which we preach is most surely revealed to us by the Lord, but moreover, our hearts have tried and proved, have grasped, have felt, have realized its truth and power. If we have not been able to understand its heights and depths, yet we have felt its mystic power upon our heart and spirit, now we must speak. You who know its mighty influence upon your heart, who have not only heard of the babe, but have seen him in the manger, taken him up in your arms and received him as being born to you, a savior to you, the anointed for you, Jesus, the savior from sin for you. 
Beloved, can you do otherwise than speak of the things which you have seen and heard? God has made you to taste and to handle of this good word of life, and you must not, you dare not hold your peace, but you must tell to friends and neighbors what you have felt within. Luke's gospel challenges us to this. So the shepherds went and saw and told, but there are yet other responses to the coming of God and Jesus Christ here in Luke's gospel. What of the others who were there? So next, Luke tells us in verse 18 that all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, there are many times in the gospels where we are told that people wondered at Christ. Sometimes this wondering was simply in amazement at the miracles he was performing. There were times when Jesus commented that the crowds were following him only for this reason. They were amazed at what he was doing. He could do mind-boggling tricks. Jesus proved to be what seemed a gifted magician at times. But there's another type of wonder described in Scripture a wonder which stands in reverent awe before a holy and loving God. It's a wonder that happens when the soul is confronted and overwhelmed with the greatness and glory of God. It's a marveling at the majesty of God. This is the marveling that the apostle Paul tells us will happen on the day that Jesus comes again in glory. He writes in 2 Thessalonians 1 about when Jesus comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. We will stand in holy wonder before Christ when he comes again in glory. But it also happened on that night by those who welcomed him at his first appearing. How could one not be filled with wonder before a God who had become incarnate, who had come in the flesh and been born of a virgin? Consider it. Consider it. The eternal and omnipresent God who existed before time, the great uncreated one who created all things, who crafted the universe, who hung the stars and knows them each by name, who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, who weighed the mountains in scales, who controls all things by his almighty power, who is eternally worshipped by the heavenly host. This God was born as a baby boy. The Almighty and Eternal One became mortal man and laid in a manger. Try to wrap your head around that mystery. It's a mystery to which the hymns try to give voice king of kings yet born of mary as of old on earth he stood lord of lords in human vesture in the body and the blood late in time behold him come offspring of the virgin's womb veiled in flesh the godhead see 
God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created. This is what God has done in Jesus Christ. And he did it for you. He left his throne in heaven and became man. He submitted himself to suffering and death. He did this that you might be saved from eternal destruction. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He did this that you might see his glory that you might taste his goodness and love, that you might know redemption, the forgiveness of sins, that you might have everlasting life. He who is rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became poor for you. He humbled himself that you might be exalted. And if you know yourself, if you really know yourself, do you deserve this priceless gift of God's own son? Consider it. And if it doesn't leave you in holy wonder, then I don't know what will. But if we are moved to holy wonder, it will inevitably lead us to adoration, true adoration. Adoration that moves us to worship with true thanksgiving. For who would not worship a God who came down to heaven to pay the ransom by his very life for such a worm as I? Holy wonder moves our hearts to sing because we discover in Jesus a wonderful Savior. We find in him the marvelous love of God. The shepherds were moved in this way. We see in verse 20 that the shepherds returned to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. When we not only hear but experience God who has come and made himself available to us, who has given himself up for us, then why, as Charles Spurgeon puts it, wouldn't I feel that heaven itself is not too great for my expectation. That the rivers of pleasure at God's right hand are not too sweet or too deep for me to drink thereof. We can have confidence in placing our trust in Jesus as Savior and resting in the promises of the gospel should compel us to worship the one who gave himself up for us. It should do more than that, but it should do no less than that. We really shouldn't then miss spending time, if we haven't done so yet this season, standing in holy wonder before the reality of the incarnation in a manner that will produce in us worship and gratitude and devotion and confidence. Dearly beloved, don't let the busyness of this season keep you from wondering at the greatness of our God. There's one more response presented to us by Luke here in these verses. It's a response of Mary. Luke tells us in verse 19 that she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
Wonder moves us to sing, but sometimes, sometimes we are silenced before God's marvelous mercies. As we encounter God and begin to turn the truths of God over and over again in our minds, we can quickly reach the end of what we can comprehend, but that isn't the point. It isn't simply intellectual understanding that we are after. It is getting more of the fullness of his beauty and goodness. It's what we do with a precious gem. We want to look at a diamond from every angle and see how the light shines through it. You always see newly engaged women doing this, constantly looking down at the rock on their finger, turning it every which way, seeing how it shines in different lights. The attention isn't on the physics of the refraction of light as it passes through the diamond. The focus is on enjoying its beauty. This is what Mary does. As Spurgeon said, be it so, if your understanding cannot comprehend, let your affections apprehend. And if your spirit cannot compass the Lord Jesus in the arms of its understanding, let it embrace him in the arms of your affection. Oh, beloved, here is the blessed Christmas work for you if, like Mary, you lay up all these things in your heart and ponder upon them. Mary was savoring who God had revealed himself to be. She was taking in the goodness of his promises to her. And it engaged her mind as she considered all that she was experiencing, but it also engaged her heart. She was holding all of these things with great affection in her heart, remembering them, cherishing them, enjoying them. Dearly beloved, I don't know how you are responding to the reality of God coming in Jesus Christ this night. You might want to run to Christ to experience his grace and love. You might, having heard and seen his goodness, be itching to tell of his birth from the mountaintops. You might be filled with wonder, your heart singing praise to God for his saving grace. You might be quietly seeking to see it from every side. Trying to see God's grace revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Just savoring who God is for you. All of these are fitting responses to the coming of God into our midst. All of these are ways to appropriately welcome Jesus into your lives this Christmas. And for the believer, one flows into the next in an endless life of praise and gratitude and wonder and enjoyment of God. You see, our response to Jesus Christ is all-encompassing. It is internal wondering and pondering. It is external sharing and praising. It's vertical as we birth, burst forth into gratitude and worship to God for what he has done for us. It's horizontal as we can't bear not to tell everyone that we meet what we have heard about Jesus and experienced of Jesus through the power of his spirit. And my prayer is that it would be so for you this Christmas, that you wouldn't simply walk out of here this evening and think of Jesus Christ no more, 
but that you would seek him, to adore him, to treasure him, to worship him, to tell of his grace. Will you do that this evening? And tomorrow? And the next day? And for the rest of your lives? I pray that you do and that God would be glorified in you as you are fully satisfied in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice with heart and soul and voice that Jesus Christ is born today. He hath opened heaven's doors and we are blessed evermore. No more do we need to fear the grave for Jesus Christ was born to save. Help us to place our faith in him this night that we might taste of his goodness and enjoy him forever. In his holy and precious name we pray. Amen. In response to the gospel, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Nicene Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? We believe in 